Support for this podcast is provided by Cosmic, a Portland-based agency consisting of technologists, storytellers, and strategists who help nonprofits and B Corps quickly grow revenue and impact. Start growing your mission-driven organization with Cosmic at AmplifyPDX.com. Support for this podcast is also provided by the PDX Executive Assembly, a membership of leaders from Portland companies, led by executives from the Trailblazers, Adidas, Yakima, and more, Assembly's curated cohorts of executives serve to accelerate leadership development and build a meaningful network of peers, free from press and sales solicitation. Join now at pdxexecutiveassembly.com. From ThatCast Creative, I'm Dan Bruton, and this is the PDX Executive Podcast a show where I talk with inspiring leaders who are shaping the future of Portland, Oregon. Every week I sit down with business executives, startup founders, and community leaders to dive into their career journey and get insights into the impactful work they're doing in our slice of the great Pacific Northwest. Everyone, thanks for listening to PDX Executive Podcast. We're back. I kind of took the summer off and I hope all of you had a restful maybe summer. Uh, I don't know if that's a, a best word to use, but for me, I spent some time I'm taking some courses on mindfulness and try to relieve my stress. And that's why I'm very excited to have my next guest, Ashish Katari, who's the author of Hardwire for Happiness, Nine Proven Practices to Overcome Stress and Live Your Best Life. This book is um, coming soon, which we'll get into the date when it releases. But why I wanted to have Ashish on too is he's not just another happiness guru, which we see a lot of those on Twitter and LinkedIn. This is someone who had a very successful um, executive career and made a transition to doing this and writing this book. So Ashish, welcome. Very nice to be here with you, Dan. Thank you for having me. And I know you're based in Colorado. You happen to be in Portland for, for something else t- today. And you know, we're still doing this remotely. So I hope you have a great um, you know, time in, in Portland. So let's get into it. I would love to learn a little bit. Um, I know this is always a, a broad question to ask a little bit about your professional journey to writing this book. Yeah, so absolutely. So listen, you know, I grew up in India. I, like all good Indian kids growing up in their 70s and 80s, decided to study hard, get into IIT, got my engineering degree, came to the U.S. when I was 23. You know, it was 1997. And I had landed in Chicago with $5,000 in my bank account, which was a loan, by the way, from somebody (laughs) and two people who I knew in the U.S., Fast forward 20 years later, Dan, and, uh, you know, an MBA along the way from University of Chicago, consulting through and through, I found myself at 43. I was living in Boulder. I was happily married. I had a lovely son who was four at that time. I had already been a partner at McKinsey and Company for about four years. So I had Mm. spent 20 years in consulting every place where I had you know, between my hard work, between, uh, you know, just always pushing hard, right? Trying to do the best for clients, trying to like always push for the extreme. You know, I had an incredibly successful career, right? I was working for a firm I loved. I was highly valued for the expertise, which I had developed in operations and specifically procurement. And by all measures, I checked off everything on the checklist of success that Mm -hmm. I picked up. And it was important because you know, I had picked up in my life and I saw everybody executing to that is if you are successful, you are happy. 
And, you know, the checklist was done. There was not much left on that checklist to check off, right? And yet, while externally, everything was great, internally, I was actually struggling with stress. I was struggling with anxiety. In mm. fact, and so severe of an anxiety that I would wake up many mornings just feeling like I needed to throw up and I couldn't mm. actually point why. Mm. What was wrong? Everything was great on every dimension, right? And that's what actually got me going into this, really looking into why am I feeling this? Why am I not happy? I've checked mm. everything, all the boxes. Why am I not happy now? What else do I need to have in my life? And it started my journey around looking into what makes humans flourish, which took me in three completely different uh, domains. Psychology, mm. because I wanted to understand how we think, right? right? We think so we are. Neurosciences, I wanted to understand the brain and why the brain is the way it is, because that's kind of really is what creates the thoughts. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to look at wisdom traditions and I dug deep into, you know, Buddhism, Yoga Sutras, Taoism, Stoicism, looking for answers to this perennial questions of, you know, what makes humans flourish? Yeah. And that is the insights that I built from that, from all of that work and implementing many of the things that, you know, some of these timeless practices in my own life. Mm. Uh, got me to this point where I decided to write this book because, you know, my life fundamentally changed in the last five years and uh, nothing changed externally, but it was a change from within. And I mm. wanted to actually make this available to, you know, all uh, to all of your, uh, you know, people listening and to the broader mm. audience, because I saw what I was struggling, by the way, I wasn't alone. So yeah. many other people at the peak of their success have the same issues. Well, she, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I want to step back. I, we'll, we'll get into the book. And I, I love your approach and taking this kind of almost three-tiered approach with you know, psychology, neuroscience, and some of the spiritual aspects of Buddhism. When you were in that, that spot and you woke up, you know, having that anxiety, and like you said, it is very common for people that are very successful. And why, yes. why is that? I know on your site, you mentioned you know, if you step back and look at most of us as in the middle-class life, we have so much abundance, right? But we're more than ever, it seems like, stressed, anxious. So I'm not sure, you know, if you have some insight of just like your peers, uh, you know, knowing they felt that the same and maybe it's becoming easier to, to talk amongst folks about that? I, I, I don't know what your thoughts. Yeah, look, I mean, this is, you know, this is a very universal issue, right? If you look at any statistics, and I looked at this quite extensively at my time at McKinsey, stress, mm -hmm. anxiety, and burnout are at 40 to 60% mm. in, the, in, the, in the workplace, okay? I mean, it is becoming more natural to talk about mental health, but people mm -hmm. still are not doing enough to actually affect mental health, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. So I think it's a very real issue. And I think the issue is also, all of the things that are out there talk about doing something different mm. externally or cognitive. And I think the, the insight that I had was that actually the reason why we are at this place in the first place is because our brains, which have evolved over millions of years to keep our bodies safe and secure. That's what we know from evolutionary biology, right? That's the reason why we are at the top of the food chain, despite not being the strongest or the mm. largest. Mm -hmm. Our brains have actually become completely maladapted to the environment we have created. So it is not the environment that is the problem. It is our ability to not deal with the volatility, the uncertainty, the complexity in the environment that we've created outside is the problem. Mm 
And I'll explain a little bit about why that is, right? And so like when we tell people, go do something different, they are not capable unless they actually change their internal wiring, hmm. right? It's, it's yeah. not possible. And the reason this maladaptation comes from is the following. So think about this. As I said, first of all, our brains evolved to keep our bodies safe and secure, right? Our flight, flight responses are really, really good against one kind of threat that millions of life, millions of years of our evolution prepared us for, which was threat from carnivorous animals, the tiger mm -hmm. hiding in the bush, right? right? We are all lucky descendants of people who were really good at either spotting the tiger and if there was enough of us having it for dinner, so we didn't survive, so, you know, mm -hmm. so we didn't die of hunger mm -hmm. or running away and not get eaten. How similar is that world to what we live in today? Not at all, right? right? But what we do have is a world which is filled with enough psychological tigers, enough psychological threats, you know? Something's not going well at school. Something's not going well at home. Some, you know, I have a boss that might not be happy. I have a supplier that fails to deliver. I have a customer yeah. I can't meet the demand for. We, you know, there's a shooting that is a ecological disaster. Oh my God, Russia and Ukraine are at war. Yeah. I mean, we constantly face this barrage of things that can actually threaten our way, right? Inflation is crazy. Mm -hmm. And so we are constantly dealing with this influx of bad code news. Yeah. And we are constantly triggered. So that's the first issue that the threats have gone up, but the wrong kind of threats. It's not the mm -hmm. carnivorous threats. The second issue is the response itself. So flight flight is amazing for physical threats. You know, it's what saves us, Dan, right? When you have a car coming at you and you turn and you see a car and you just jump off. Yeah. That's not a cognitive response. That's actually a somatic. We just move quickly out of the way. Completely fails us for these psychological threats because we right away go into doom and gloom and worst case scenario. Right. In fact, yeah. in what Daniel Goldman called the amygdala hijack, we actually even lose our ability to think clearly. Okay, so our thinking brain goes offline. So that's the second issue that actually the response itself isn't optimal. And then the third is when our, our bodies, right, have not, are not designed, they're designed for stress. They're designed for stress. They're not designed for continuous stress. Mm -hmm. So adrenaline and cortisol have a very important role. They prepare us for action. If we didn't have any stress, we would be bored out of our minds, <laughs> right. right? But yeah. our problem is when we get triggered so much and we are constantly swimming in this cocktail and the more high demand professions you are in, the more senior you are, you have so much more of this coming at you. You are literally, you know, we don't like how that feels in our body, right? Our bodies start to break down, but we also start to do things to kind of numb ourselves. Food, drugs, Netflix binging, yeah. <laughs> right? Alcohol. And all of those end up creating more havoc to our bodies. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason, you know, you go to the question of why are we so prosperous, but why are we so stressed, anxious, burnt out, constantly running for more? is I would say our, our wiring of our brain, which is one for fear, which is one for danger, mm -hmm. continuously keeps us on the edge from enjoying the amazing successes that we have in the modern world. There's so much to unpack there. And I, I love that. So I want to get back to your personal kind of journey. Uh, yeah. You, you mentioned you're 43, you your height of you know partner McKinsey, great, you know, Colorado life in Colorado. I know you started re as a, as a proper consultant, you started researching these things, but for you, 
what was really, I guess, if you can share, changed inward for you? What are, I know, like you said, all, everybody's telling us things to do, but it really starts internally. So I'm curious some of the things that you can share that helped you. Yes. Oh my God. I will tell, absolutely. You know, in fact, uh, funnily enough, Dan, I'm going to give you a little, I'm going to uh, share something with you, right? Yeah. I was not seeking happiness. By the way, that's one of the big myths of happiness. Those who pursue happiness are actually unhappier, <laughs> funnily enough, right? <laughs> I was not seeking happiness. What the question that I was seeking really was, you know, clearly something was not working in my life, right? Because I was anxious. I had, as I kind of looked inward, realized one of the reasons why this was, the only thing that I could point to at that time was the fact that, you know, to some extent, I was living a life that was incoherent with what I actually cared about. Hmm. So the work that I was doing, right? So I was doing a lot of work helping clients save dollars, right? Through negotiating. Mm -hmm. um, I don't even negotiate my own car when I buy a car, right? So <laughs> like, how stupid is that? Like, you're, people, and I tell this to people, they go like, wait, yeah. you're a McKinsey consultant. You don't negotiate cars. Yeah, yeah. Like everybody negotiates cars. I'm like, right. yeah, I don't care about it, right? And, <laughs> and so when you do 60, 40, 50 hours, right? Yeah. On a topic you don't really care about, you start to kind of feel this, this lack of coherence, right? Yeah. And I think that was, I think, starting to eat within me. Uh, but I couldn't shift. Okay. So my working title of the book actually originally was From Fear to Freedom. Mm. And what I was looking for in all of this was that why am I so stuck? What am I afraid of? Why am I unwilling, unable to make the change? Okay. So I knew I needed a change, but I couldn't. And that's what I was looking for. And the missing piece actually came to me in this amazing program that I actually got a chance to go to at the firm. Uh, which was, you know, it was a, it was a training program. It was in this old monastery in Portugal. Huh. Um, it was seven days. It was the first time, Dan, the first time in my 20 years that I actually stopped. The first time that we were completely disconnected from all devices, wow. no laptops, no phone calls. In fact, they even had told us, don't call home. Mm. Tell your family mm. you're unavailable for seven days. Because it was truly an experiment. It was truly a program to go inwards. Okay. Mm. And I've walked out of that program with something that basically acted as the second part. You know, when you take a journey, you know where you start, but you also mm -hmm. need to know where you go. So mm -hmm. that provided the two for me. And that was the following Dan. So there were three things in that program that I came away from as I actually went inwards into what I cared about and what was going on. The first thing I realized was that for my life, the common theme through the 20 years of my life, right, uh, adult life, mm -hmm. had been relationships, hmm. right? It had always been, you know, connecting with people and keeping in touch and being able to help others. In fact, to the question of what would you do if you had all the money and time in the world, I would be like, I would be calling people and actually making connections and talking to them. That's what yeah. I would love to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be getting on a plane and flying somewhere, right? I wouldn't be like buying the next car or right. the next plane. No, like I would be literally like for me, it's people and connections. That's what fills me with joy, spending mm -hmm. time with them, calling them, being able to help them, right? Uh, the second thing that I realized coming out of that was, right, I had realized that I had actually been completely unaware, Dan, about all of these practices that I was learning about, which allow us to be at our best physically, mm -hmm. mentally, and spiritually, right? So well-being practices, as well as, you know, insights from psychology. Look, I am an engineer. 
And then I was an MBA from Chicago. Yes, mm-hmm. I studied organizational behavior, but I also did strategy and finance, right? So mm-hmm. very left brain guy. Never, mm-hmm. ex- never really learned psychology, never learned, never really delved into philosophy. And I was starting to see this from a keyhole, these things that I didn't even know about for 20 years of my adult life that could have such a big effect on me, mm. right? In being able to be happier, healthier. And I was, I was, you know, really curious. And I was like, oh my God, I can see the difference because even in that week, mm-hmm. I was actually feeling so much better. I was not waking up in anxiety. For the first time wow. in a long period, I actually, I was like, wait, I'm not anxious today. Huh, wow. why? Oh, I, we did some mindfulness the day before. We did mindfulness today. I'm not constantly doing, you know, after two days, right, of discomfort of like not having a phone to look, you know, we yeah. have in community. And then I looked around, Dan, and uh, everybody else was having the same experience, okay? Mm-hmm. Everybody had actually come in this perfect personas that we walk around in. But inside, every one of them was a human being who had some struggle going on in their life. Yeah. Something that they never shared with many people because why would you share your struggles? That means you're weak and you're not enough, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Not true. We all have that. And that week I emerged with such clarity, Dan. And for me, it was these three things coming together. I said, I know what I want to do. I know what my North Star is. I Mm -hmm. really want to learn as much as I can about these fields. To be able to connect back to what I deeply care about is being able to help others. Yeah. Right. To yeah. some extent, I talk about this in my book. I had found my ikigai, hmm. that place where my passions, my strengths mm-hmm. intersected with what the world needed mm-hmm. and is willing mm-hmm. to pay for. And frankly, that is actually, uh, that is what actually created the gravitational pull mm. to pull me out of fear because now mm-hmm. I had an all-star. I had something to go towards. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. That was the shift. Well, it sounds like an amazing program, but basically it contributed to you leaving the company. So I don't know if they still do it, (laughs) but um, a a couple of things I I wanted to call out that you mentioned. One is community. And I know a part of kind of your, you know, you're writing the book, but I know you're also creating, going to be creating a community around this book. How important is that? I, I know as we get older, I find this, you know, I, things I do for a living. I gather people a lot for events and meetings, yes. but it's so important, but also it is, as you get older, let's be honest, it's so hard to find your community, be a part of one. You have so many competing things going on. So yeah, I'd love you to talk about the community aspect and the importance of that. Absolutely. Look, I think community is so, so, so important. In fact, you know, I'll point back to this long, one of the longest studies on happiness and flourishing is a Harvard study that actually started in the late 30s, okay? And yeah. it was still ongoing. You know, the biggest driver that actually they found around what made people successful, what made people happy and thrive and flourish mm. were their social communities, mm. the relationships they had. And it wasn't the number, right? It was really the quality of those relationships. They had friends, family, and their broader kind of networks, okay? So communities are incredibly, look, in the end, man is a social animal, right? Mm -hmm. As the saying goes, Mm -hmm. we are wired for connection. We are wired for connection. What happens is the day-to-day life gets in the way and we just completely forget to do that. So I have, uh, you know, I, I do one thing and I always, you know, 
to anybody I coach, I always tell them, look, you will very, you will find time really hard for connection to connect with people unless you hardwire it into your calendar. Mm -hmm. So I literally have 15 minutes every day in my calendar that I use to call somebody. Usually Mm -hmm. I'll call them if it's their birthday. Right. <laughs> and I use Facebook as a great hack for that. I always, you know, tell you whose birthday it is. Right. And I'll just call them. And that connection time is not a connection time to talk about business. It's not, it's just to connect as humans. Right. Yeah. And if we think about the lives that we walk that, I mean, there are so many people that we, we have actually shared meaningful experiences with. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's an opportunity to connect back with every one of them. And just check in and how they're doing. Wish them happy birthday on their on their day. Uh, and that's something I do, you know? That's something I do. I'll call others if it's not their birthday, but just somebody I'd be meaning to. But because it's hardwired in, nothing overlaps on it. Yeah. And you you find that so, it sounds like so meaningful. And I, I love that because I've, maybe last time we talked, we had a little pre-call. You maybe mentioned this. And I started just reaching out to people on LinkedIn I used to work with or did something professionally with just to say, Hey, right. Not like I want something from you or I mean, it's selfish for me because I found it really meaningful for me. So that's great advice. I get so much from those interactions as much as they do, you know, and people remember, and I, you know, for me, I love it. I love it because, Mm -hmm. you know, I also do this thing every year. I'm, I'm the, you know, and I wouldn't go, I would tell you that, uh, I, I send out personal holiday cards and like emails every, at the end of the year, right? Oh, that's great. I send it yeah. to along because again, you know, for me, it's the, at the end of the year, it's an opportunity to reflect on the abundance and how much joy and those moments, you know, that I've shared such meaningful moments with so many in my life. Mm-hmm. And I want to be grateful to them and I want to be great, you know, and it fills me already. I can take my past. Mm-hmm. and bring that happiness into my future, right? Yeah. And you just feel like, oh my God, I'm going to start the next year. So I don't start my future the next year with mm-hmm. what I want to do different tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I actually look backwards about how much I have actually gained from people around me. I love that. And you I men- carry those gifts forward, right? Yeah. And you mentioned just now gratitude. And so What's some of the, if we look at the kind of the research or science behind just expressing gratitude, taking time for that? Because from what I understand, that's a, a big part of uh, this too, right? Absolutely. So look, gratitude is, uh, of the nine practices in my book, I actually, the biggest one that's made a difference for me, even more, even more than mindfulness. A lot of people talk about mindfulness, right? Mindfulness, mm-hmm, mindfulness, mm-hmm, you should be mm-hmm. mindful. Yes, we yeah. should be mindful. And I think it's an important skill. But the biggest skill I think that's the easiest to muster has the highest returns in terms of the investment of time and shortest time to actually benefit is gratitude. Mm. So if you look at the research done by Marty Seligman that Sonia Lubomirsky kind of built on, what Marty Seligman found is even eight weeks of people keeping a journal, a gratitude journal where they write down what they're grateful for, significantly increases how they feel about life, about themselves. Mm. Okay. Even those Mm -hmm. who were the most depressed actually saw an upliftment in their experience of life. Neurologically, our left to right activations in our brain within eight weeks can actually change with gratitude. Mm -hmm. And so we can truly create, right? This notion of it is not the happy 
right? It is not the happy people that are grateful. It is the grateful people mm. that are actually happy. Mm -hmm. Because, you mm -hmm. know, what gratitude does, and I'll tell you the, the neuroscience behind this, okay? What grat and the, and the, and the psychology behind it. There is this thing called the hedonic treadmill. The brain, mm -hmm. you know, is really, really good. We get something and that becomes normalized, right? You know, it comes from all those millions of years of evolution where if you stop running and you just kind of let yourself be, you didn't survive. So you ate the meal and you let's start looking for the next one because who knows when I'm going to get that one, right? Right. And so you start now, you don't just go and kind of enjoy, right? So that's what kind of drives us. Well, if you think about that, what and so as a result of which, we actually just, all the things that we have that are good, they fall off our kind of where our mind is focused on. We focus on what's, gonna, what's not good, what's right. going to get us, right? And it's such a powerful practice because if we can train our brain, we realize oftentimes that, you know, what we are seeing as kind of this big storm, you know, I always talk yeah. about this. This is not about, if you really develop a gratitude practice and you develop your ability to see, you will not just notice that there is a silver lining on the dark cloud, right? Because people say, hey, every dark cloud has a silver lining, right? Don't worry about the cloud. Look at the lining. What I say is you will not just notice that there is a silver lining on the dark cloud, but you will actually realize that the dark cloud is nothing but a small spot on a big canvas of white. Mm -hmm. It is not, the cloud doesn't matter. It is so small. And I'll just give you a simple example, even in talking to you, right? When was the last time you or I were grateful for the fact that we could see? Right. Just grateful right. for sight. Yeah. Well, what do you mean grateful for sight? Isn't everybody see? No, everybody doesn't see. There are millions out there whose biggest wish is that someday they could see. Mm -hmm. But we, we are just, we don't recognize it. Or the fact that we could hear or touch, you know, or the fact that we can taste. People yeah. complain when something hurts in their foot. They forget that they actually have a foot that is actually yeah. hurting. And it's, it's this great. power. I well, know it's such great. I love, and I, I'm glad that's, you know, in your book and you, you go deeper on it. A couple of things before we go, Ashish, I want to talk about, you know, uh, when the book comes out, but just as a parent, right, as a lot of folks that maybe listen to this, or we both know they're professionals, have kids. You know, I, my wife and I think we spend a lot of time thinking about you know, how do we, you know, pass on to them this yes. of, uh, I guess, building a life that's kind of centered around some of the things we're talking about versus let's be honest, I was an eighties kids too. It was a lot of striving, get the education. It's, you know, we still believe in those things, but it's different now. Um, so I don't, what's your, some of your advice or just thoughts around instilling that in this generation of kids. And I think you might even be seeing in, in, in younger workers, their priorities are different. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I would say the I would say the following, and you know, I I myself fail at this all the time, Dan. So <laughs> I will say it as uh, you know, with the, with the utmost humility, I always call my son my biggest guru, my biggest teacher, <laughs> right? Like because okay. you know he's twelve, right? He's about to be thirteen, so he's already yeah. I think in his kind of preteen years, right? Sure. So like he every day gives me my dose of like humility <laughs> of like here we go, live into right. So that's where this advice comes from is I don't think the kids, we can tell our kids anything. Yeah. But what we can do is we can be role models because they do observe everything that we do. 
And I think by actually doing and living a life, right, which is filled with these practices of awareness and kindness and gratitude, I think we they start to actually see that and kind of start to emulate them, right? So with mm. our son, we, we have a gratitude practice. We, you know, we don't do it every every day, but we definitely do it once a week where we'll say, hey, let's think about the week. What are we grateful for? What are some things that actually happened? Uh, and let's go beyond that. I'm grateful for my food and grateful for my parents. Yeah. You know, I'm grateful for my son. No, no, no. Let's go deeper. What was something that somebody did or something that happened that actually was, that brought so much joy that mm-hmm. we're grateful for, right? And I think it's those things, you know, when we actually integrate, when we practice, when we are mindful, even when we fail, right? We lose our temper, but we find our grounding and we say, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I, I spoke in a, in a harsh way to you. Mm-hmm. that's how we actually show them a different way of being. Yeah, no, that's super helpful. And you mentioned uh, yourself saying it with a little bit of humility and failing. Like, I think we all, as if we're parents, uh, <laughs> can say we're not doing it right every day, right? So I think that's super helpful. So, um, well, she's, let's talk about the book. When is it coming out? Yeah, so the book launches on October 11th. And, okay. you know, it's going to be available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble and many of the other platforms. Um, yeah, could be pre-ordered now. And the site is, uh, happiness for the book and some of the other things you'll be launching around like the community and, and, and such. Is that right? That's exactly right. So happiness squad.com, uh, you know, there's a weekly blog that comes out and then from there they can also get access to the community. Um, I also have, uh, Dan, a channel on Instagram. It's called my happiness squad that I okay. will, I will send you away. And in that, you know, what I'm trying to do is the following. Um, Every day I post a 60 to 90 second, it's literally a 60 to 90 second clip of a reading of something from a spiritual text that's actually had a big meaning in my life, okay? Mm. And it's it's secular, it's, you know, it's Buddhist, Mm. it's stoicism, it might be uh, somebody expert. And the idea with that is a, a 60 to 90 second thought that we can kind of tune into and live our life on that day with right. that thought in front, right? Because it is a journey. Hardwiring is a journey. It is mm-hmm. not something that is fixed and you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's what I've tried to do because it's made a big difference in my life and, uh, and I hope it does to your, to your listeners as well. Well, Ashish, thanks so much for sharing time uh, with the podcast. Wishing you all you know, best of success for the book. I'm looking forward to picking it up and you know, thank you again. The PDX Executive Podcast is a production of That Cast a Portland, Oregon podcast agency that partners with brands to create custom podcasts. You can learn more at thatcast.com. And please take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast as well.